God, who are we to deny what you could do? For you can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or even ever imagine. Indeed, our Lord, you are more than able. So we look up to you, our King and Lord, as we are reminded of your goodness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Lamentations 3, verses 19 to 25. Lamentations 3, verses 19 to 25 says these words. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. For the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. God, we thank you for you are good to everyone who hopes in you, to the one who earnestly seeks you. And God, we are also thankful that you are good even to those that are on the run. You are good. To all of us, we bless your name, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. My name is Humphreys. I'm the lead pastor here. And welcome uh, to Flood, as you heard from Sam, that our mission is bringing upcoming generations to Christ for transformation because we believe that Jesus is the one that can truly change your lives. And today I'm uh, launching this new series called Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Uh, Because it's not about the what, it's actually about the who. Whenever you encounter a need in your life, uh, whenever you see someone with a need in their life, uh, you begin to wrestle with what do they need? What do they need? Maybe they need school fees. Maybe they need money. uh, Maybe they need a business opportunity. Whatever it is, what do they really need? Uh, So you look for solutions uh, to find the what whatever that is that they need. But then God has a different approach when it comes to, you know, uh, sorting out our issues and our needs. Because for God, it's not just Him giving you the what, the thing that you need uh, for you to have all of your problems gone. Actually, God gives you something better. He gives you something that you truly need. And He gives you a person. He gives you Jesus. He gives you uh, himself where he says, hey, it doesn't really matter that it's not just about what I give you, but actually God himself matters. That having him as our anchor, having him as the hope that we need, uh, you know, that matters. And I hope in this sermon series, as we are looking into it, that Jesus will be more glorified, that the needs that we've got in our lives would be more of like, uh, you know, kind of like post signs that say, hey, go to God, go to God, go to God. And I hope we could do that. And today I want to answer the question, who are the the afflicted looking for? Who are the afflicted looking for? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where the situation is so hard that you cannot see where good will come from. You know, you're going through this season, this rough season, 
where you cannot see where the good will come from, and you cannot see anything that's good around you. If you've ever been in that situation, you identify with Jeremiah, or Jeremiah identifies with you, because when he writes this lament, he's coming from a place of great affliction. Now, Jeremiah isn't just writing this out of a vacuum, or just thinking about a story, or thinking about these things. Actually, this coming from a very, comes from a very historical moment, because if you remember, Jerusalem, his city, uh, was actually destroyed. The Babylonians came in, destroyed it, and took people into exile. You know, they took them into exile. And when they destroyed that, you know, Jeremiah saw that. And when they destroyed Jerusalem, when his family, when his life was changed, the people that he looked up to, things did not look good anymore. Jeremiah remembers that situation. And when he remembers it, he remembers it vividly to the point that he kind of like feels the pain over and over again. I don't know if you've ever been or ever had a situation where when you think of it, you kind of like refill the pain, you know, relieve it. Like you can have these chills, you know, you feel the heartache in it. And this is what Jeremiah feels, and he writes it from that point of view. And he says, I remember how bitter, I remember how messed up, I remember how painful this situation is. But at the same time, we see him focusing on God's goodness and God's grace. And I want to see uh, from this passage, how does he take both? That there is chaos, that there is hardship in his life. At the same time, he want to recognize God's goodness in his life. And probably maybe that can be an encouragement uh, for each one of us. Or maybe for you, you might be going through uh, a situation of affliction, a season of affliction, I hope maybe you'll be encouraged. So what does he do? How does he respond to this situation? Which is also our own invitation that we can respond when we're in a season of affliction. Number one, see the unfairness around you, but hold on to God's faithfulness around you. See the unfairness around you, but hold on to God's faithfulness around you. Verse 19 to 22, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. And uh, Jeremiah says, I remember how it feels like. I remember how it felt like. In fact, I still feel the pain when I remember this situation, when I see the brokenness around me. He is so moved with this hardship to the point of despair. And Jeremiah does not throw the situation under the rug, pretending as though it's not there. He does not pretend as though he is not being afflicted. He does not, does not pretend as though um, he is not going through this rough season. And he sees that this situation is so unfair. It's so unfair. Just thinking, uh, you know, of Cyclone Freddy. And the stories of these entire villages getting wiped out just like that, like a village gone. Remember, you are saying goodnight to your family. We'll see you tomorrow. You're kissing your, your kids to sleep, and they're going to bed. In the middle of the night, you hear this disturbing sound. You wake up, and half of your house is falling apart. And you stand, and you see 
this mad slide coming. So you jump out, and it's almost going to overtake you, but you manage to just move on into a small hill that was close to you. And you look back, and you realize you're by yourself. Your family is not with you. Where is my two-year-old? Where is my wife? Where is my family? But you can't go back because you're going to drown, and you will die there. And you see, it's not just your house, but you cannot see any of the other houses. They're all gone. And you hear a few voices up top, and you run there, and you find a few people, and everybody is wondering about what just happened. Nobody can truly process. Have you seen my wife? Have you seen this person? And the answer is no. A few days later, you go in. And you start digging. I saw a picture of this dad who was digging, looking for his family that was buried under the rubble. You see that situation? It's unfair. Very, very unfair. And you cannot look at that and not see how unfair that situation is. It's unfair that you're jobless. Now you're going for two years or even more. It's unfair you lost your baby. It's unfair that your mother died so young. It's unfair that your health isn't getting better, and you pray, and you have fasted, and it's not getting any better. It's unfair you lost your business. It's unfair you lost your spouse. It's unfair that the marriage you prayed for, it's now gone. It's unfair. Jeremiah does not hide this, does not look away from the unfairness of the situation. He says, I remember it, because it feels like Bitter medication. It's so bitter that I feel it in my stomach. It's so unfair. But what he does is that he not only just looks at the unfairness of the situation, because if you just stop and look only at the unfairness of the situation, you're going to run into despair. There'll be no hope for you. You're going to be lost in the dark. But he says this, yet to this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. His compassions never fail. And he looks at that, you know, because it's easy to think of, you know, the situation, the bad situation that's in front of you. But he says, no, no, no I'm going to take a step further. I will be intentional about thinking about why I'm not really consumed? Because what I see here is that because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions never fail. His compassions never fail. You see the unfairness, but at the same time, you hold on to God's faithfulness. That God is faithful. That God is faithful. So you hold on to that truth. That God is faithful. Yes, it might be unfair, but at the same time, God is faithful, and therefore you can have hope. Your hope is not wrapped up in wishful thinking. Your hope is wrapped up in God's faithfulness, that God is faithful. What do we mean when we say God is faithful? We mean that God will stick around. God will stay. He's not going to run away. He'll stick around. God is faithful. When we say God is faithful, we mean that God will do what God says he will do. When we say that God is faithful, we mean that God will fulfill his promises and he would hold on 
to his promises. When we say that God is faithful, we say that God will exercise his faith in power because God is powerful. When we say that God is faithful, we mean that God will show up in the ways that God can. So therefore, you can hold on to God's faithfulness, to his ability, to his graces. His compassions never fail. His kindness never fail. His mercies never fail. And therefore, you can have hope. Number two, hold on to God's ability to keep you safe in the face of danger. Hold on to God's ability to keep you safe in the face of danger. Verse 21 and 22 says, Yet this I call to mind, excuse me, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Because of God's love, we will not be consumed. In other words, we'll be kept safe even in the face of danger. Because God has the ability to keep us safe even in the face of danger. Uh, just today, this morning, I woke up from this crazy dream that I had. So I was in the dream. I was going on a trip with a friend. I think it looked like Kelvin. Probably was in the dream. Uh, so we're going somewhere else. And for some reason, I was friends with a pilot, this South African pilot. I was friends with him. And uh, he comes to me and he says, oh, dude, there's a change of plan. I think my boss has beef with me. So what he has done is that he has changed my aircraft. I'm like, really? Because the aircraft that we got, we're going to go on before was this beautiful aircraft, big, and had nice food. It's like, what? You changed? So I was thinking maybe there will be something better. And he says, he has given me this aircraft, which hasn't been serviced in a long time. And also, I cannot remember anybody who has used this thing you know, uh, for a very long time. However, I spent like five minutes checking it out. I think we could be good. So, and uh, one thing that I've done is I've already checked in your luggage. So I cannot get out of this thing, yeah? I need to get on this aircraft. So he starts to walk. He's like, we need to go now. So I start walking, and I can feel my anxiety rising up. So first of all, just out of a dream, heights, I don't do well with heights. I love my ground, you know? So then, on top of that, you're saying this aircraft hasn't been serviced and it's not in good condition. So I felt, even in the dream, I felt like, you know, my, uh, my anxiousness kind of like rising up, becoming panicky, you know, in this moment. So I'm walking sheepishly, kind of like behind him, and then he looks back and he says, dude, you'll be fine. You're with me. So I'm like, okay, you know, and I start kind of like walking towards him, and then I hear a voice, dad, 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 and it's my kid waking me up, and praise God, I woke up from the dream. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I never wanted to be on that aircraft. But isn't that what God says to us? When we are panicking, isn't that what God says to us when we are, you know, um, feeling anxious and we are so afraid? Isn't that what he says? Dude, girl, you'll be fine. You're with me. You know, God's solution to our fears is not to make us more brave. And God's solution to our fears is not to make us numb, to not feel the fear. God's solution to our fears is not to say, hey, I'm going to remove this situation that brings fear in your life. God's solution is in the provision of himself, where he says, I am with you. You'll be fine. So you can depend and rely 
on me. You're not looking for something else. You're looking for a person, and I am the person that you need. I am here. I am here. I provide myself. So you will be safe, and God is going to keep you safe even in the face of danger. He will keep you safe, not because you're able, but because he's able. He will keep you safe, not because you're tough or you are able to handle tough situations, but because God is able. Because of God's great love, we are not consumed. We will not be harmed. We will not be harmed. We will face dangerous situations, but we are not going to be harmed because of God's great love. And we thank God that love drives out fear. That's one of the things that love does. So hold on to God's ability to keep you safe even in the face of danger. Number three, remember, remember that your affliction won't stop God's mercy from showing up. Remember that your affliction won't stop God's mercy from showing up. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassion. Never fail. 23 says this, They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercy never stop showing up in our lives every single day. It is us that stop noticing God's mercies in our lives, but actually God's mercies never stop showing up. They come to us every single day, every single morning, because that's how faithful God is. God keeps on showing up every day. You know, you had a bad day, he'll show up. You cursed him, he'll show up. Whatever it is you worship him, he'll show up. He never stops. God's mercies are new each and every morning. And you see that the writer switches from despair to hope quickly because of God's praises in his life. His hope is not built in wishful thinking, but like I his hope is built in a God who is faithful, in a God who is kind, in a God who is gracious, in a God who is present. And you know, God's mercies show up in all kinds of ways. That's why often we don't notice them because they show up in ways that we never considered they would show up, you know. God's mercy for a parent would be uh, in a smile of, of a kid in the morning. When this kid has been, you know, just waking up every hour and you're so tired, and in the morning they wake up and they're like, they smile, beautiful smile, and you're like, oh, look at you. God's mercy. It could be in a friend who says hi and want to check up on you, somebody who prays for you. God's mercy in the sunrise. God's mercy shows up every single day. You're talking about Sacro and Freddie, you know, you can see Malawi as a country that was devastated, but at the same time, you can see God's mercy by seeing a country that was so united. I've never seen us be so united as a country to respond to calamity like we did or we have done, even including us as a church. It was absolutely beautiful. God shows his mercy. Lastly, remember that you have who you need the most. Remember that you have who you need the most. Verse 24 says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. You know, your affliction might be pointing out that, hey, you need something else to sort it out. But Jeremiah says, no, 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 no. We need God. We need God. For the Lord is my portion, therefore I wait for him. Now, when you're thinking about portion, you know, I have a picture of like a pizza, and then one piece of pizza, and then like that's the portion, right? My, my part, my piece. 
But this is not where Jeremiah is coming from. It's not like God is a piece of something. No, no, no. This is not where he's coming from. Remember that when the children of Israel got out of Egypt, they went into their promised land. And when they got there, uh, you know, Joshua started dividing up the land. And they called those portions. So you get your portion, your piece of land, your portion, you get it. Now, for you to get a piece of land, that meant this is about to do, your, to do with your sustainability. That you're going to be sustained on this land. You're going to be growing crops. You're going to be raising animals, whatever you're going to be, rearing animals, whatever you're going to be doing there, you know, on this property. So this is your livelihood. This is your identity. This is all you've got, you know. You're looking for food. You have land. You've, you've got it all. You're looking for work. You have land. So this is what it meant. The children of Israel, there were 12 tribes. Ele- only 11 tribes got their portion, they got their pieces of land, except for one tribe. And that tribe was the tribe of the Levites. These guys were priests. These guys were serving God in the temple. And God said to them, I'm not going to give you your portion. I'm not going to give you a piece of land because I, your God, am your portion. I, your God, am your portion. This meant that for them, they had nowhere else to go apart from God. They had nowhere else to look. If they need farming, they got to go to God. If they're looking to, I want to raise some animals, they got to look up to God. So for them, God is going to be their portion. This means that when you say that the Lord is my portion, you are saying, when it comes to sustaining myself, I look to God. Because the Lord is my portion, when it comes to providing for myself, I look to God. Because God is my portion, when it comes to protecting or strengthening or whatever it is, I look to God. So God isn't just a part of me. God is all that I've got. He's all that I've got. He's not my plan B. He's not my fallback plan. He is all that I've got. That's what it means to have God as your portion. So Jeremiah says, for the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The gauge that you're going to have to see if really God is your portion is in waiting. Are you willing to wait for God? Well, that's where the gauge is. Are you going to wait for God? And I spoke about this idea a few weeks ago that sometimes we don't wait on God because we are so obsessed with control. We are so obsessed with control. First of all, we want to control what kind of results we want to get. So waiting for God is risky, and you don't want to do that. So you're like, no, I want to get the results I can get. I want to control that, what kind of results I get. But also we want to have a God that we can control, a God whom we say, hey, give me this at this time. Give me this whenever I need it, and you have to do it this way. But when you say God is my portion, what you're doing is you're surrendering that need for control and you're saying, I don't need a God that I can control. I need a God that I can trust. Well, that's the kind of God that we need. You don't need a God that you can control, but you need a God you can trust because he's faithful, because he's gracious. So because he's a God that you can trust, therefore you say, I will wait for him. I'll wait for God. Why should you wait for God? You should wait for God because in waiting, God works towards what's good for you. 
Romans 8, 28 says, He works all things for the good of those who love the Lord. So in waiting, we are going to experience that goodness from God. When we wait, God will grow good things in us because waiting grows patience in you. Waiting grows this character in you. So something good is growing in you as you're waiting on God. When you're waiting on God, it also becomes a form of worship where you worship God, you surrender to God because you see him as more valuable than anything else. That's waiting. In waiting, you trust that God will stand with you. Jesus is all we need. A few, a few years ago, there was a young person who had come to me, and uh, he was in his final year of college. He was kicked out of school because he couldn't finish paying for his college education. So very mad at God, very mad at people, an angry kid. So he came to me to speak to me, and he said, I don't know why I'm talking to you, but I felt I should come to tell you I'm being kicked out of school, and he lays down his story. So I hear his story, and then I say, oh, okay, where do you go to church? And stuff like that. He's like, no, I don't go to church. Well, why should I believe in, in this God who doesn't love me at all? And his story was rough. He had a really hard story. Why should I trust in a God who doesn't care about me? Why should I trust in a God who is not for me? So after talking to him, I said, hey, it looks like you have tried everything else. You have gone to places you have done your part, but have you considered that God might be using this situation as a way of beckoning, him, beckoning you towards him, saying, hey, would you look to me? Could it be possible? That you have tried everything else. Could it be possible that actually God is saying, hey, you haven't tried me. Would you be willing to look up to me? Because what you're doing is you are equating God's goodness with what God is doing for you, with things that God is giving you. But what if we equate God's goodness with you finding God, with God finding you? So I want to just challenge you to think about that. You go and have a think, and then call me when you're ready about this. So he goes, and uh, he comes back, and he says, yeah, I think you're right. I've never considered this. So let's give God a chance. And he gave his life to Jesus. And God being gracious, a week later we raised, I think he needed a million kwacha. We had put his story out. And we raised that million kwacha. He's now working at a hospital in Insundwe. And thinking about that, that story, your hope, if it's just building the stuff that God will give you, your hope is built on a shaky ground. Because the things will go, will fade away. You know, have you ever gotten something like that you enjoyed just like for the first week and then... You know, the joy is, like, gone. The good example is your phone. Like, the day you got it, like, it was like, ah, oh, can I let go of this? You know, you're looking at it every day. Uh, and then sometimes you forget it, right? The joy that comes from stuff will fade away. It will not last. But the joy that comes from God, we will last. The, our, our ultimate need is not the things. It's actually God. It's a person. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when he reads out Isaiah saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me so that I can bring good news to the poor. That's what he says. He says that I can proclaim freedom to the prisoners. And after saying all of that, Jesus Christ says to them, by the way, this is actually fulfilled as you hear it. I am the person you've been waiting for. You've been waiting for me. 
And the same for you. You've been waiting for Jesus. You've been waiting for him. Now, 